The Productive Woman, Episode 290. Hello and welcome to this episode of The Productive Woman. My name is Laura McClellan and this is a podcast about productivity for busy women. My goal is to help you find the tools and encouragement you need to manage your time, life, stress, and stuff so you can accomplish the things you care about most and make a life that matters. Welcome and thank you for joining me. In this episode, I'm so delighted to share with you my conversation with healthcare executive Marilee Orsini. You'll find more information about Marilee, along with links to resources she recommends and the various ways you can connect with her online, all in the show notes for this episode at theproductivewoman.com slash 290. And now let's get right into my conversation with Marilee Orsini. I'm so pleased to introduce to the Productive Woman listeners, Marilee Orsini. Marilee is the president and CEO of Core Cubed and is considered a thought leader in the healthcare at home industry. She's a leader in the Help Choose Home initiative, which I'm sure we'll talk about later. She's also a podcast creator and host who focuses on educating her listeners on how and when to choose healthcare at home. She's the past chair of the Private Duty Home Care Association of America and has served on the boards of other important organizations in that industry. Marilee's married and recently moved to Asheville, North Carolina, so she could be within walking distance of her four grandchildren, and I can totally relate to that. Among her other outside interests, Marilee is in the second year of a two-year term as president of the Art Alliance for Contemporary Glass, which is an international organization founded to help develop an appreciation for art made from glass, which sounds fascinating to me. I've really been looking forward to talking with her about how she's making a life that matters. So welcome, Marilee. Thank you, Laura. I'm really pleased to be here today. Well, it's uh, it's been an interesting morning already. We had a little bit of technical difficulty in making the connection, but I'm, uh, as I said earlier, all's well that ends well, and I'm looking forward to hearing about how you do all the things that you do. I gave a bit of an introduction, but uh, maybe you could expand on it a little bit before we get into our conversation. Tell us maybe a little more about who you are, where you are, what you do, whatever you think would be useful for us to know as we talk about how you're managing your life and being productive in a way that's meaningful to you? Well, thank you, Laura. One of the the things that I did early on in, well, I would say early on in my career, although it was probably mid-career, when I I had a business, an in-home care business in Louisville, Kentucky that I started in um, 1981 and I sold in 1996. Hmm. And in 1998 is when I started the company that I have now, which markets uh, the care at home industry. But the model I chose was an early model of working collaboratively and remotely. Hmm. And one of the reasons I did that was I wanted to be able to travel and to work from wherever I was. And the additional benefit of creating a business model like I did, that CoreCube currently still has today, is that it's completely remote with a distributed workforce. And 
what that has allowed is that my employees around the country have been able to set their own schedules, to raise their families, to take care of their aging parents, all while being gainfully employed and continuing to to have a job. <laughs> and as we now are in this everyone stay home, stay safe mode, uh, on our staff call on Monday, one of the uh, people said, you know, this is just a normal week for me, nothing unusual. And I thought, what a blessing to be able to say that in this day and time, that someone has a normal week that is not disrupted <laughs> based on where we are right now in our um, in our lockdown of, in this nation. Yeah, that's that's so true. I mean, I have said more than once how grateful I am that a couple of years ago I changed law firms and uh, work almost exclusively from home serving my legal clients and doing the other things that I do. So I didn't have to, as many of my colleagues from other law firms had to do in the last few weeks, scramble to get things set up to be able to continue working productively from home. And I didn't have to do that. The The gear was already here. The setup was already here. The routines were already in place. And that's made a huge difference for me. It sounds like you uh, in your business were a little bit of a, a pioneer of that approach of working from home with a, a distributed workforce. Yes. And I think probably one of the reasons I was comfortable with it in 1998 is that I did run a care at home business, mm-hmm. which is almost exclusively distributive workforce. And so I was used to, not that the technology was such that would allow us to do what we do today remotely, but at least I was used to not seeing people while they were working and creating systems of check-ins, check-outs, checklists that allowed me to make certain that even though I couldn't see people working, they were actually working. So I had that almost 20 years of experience uh, from another sector that brought me into uh, to being comfortable working. And as, as technology has really caught up with our model, it has certainly made things much easier for, for everyone, because imagine where we would be today if we didn't have this capacity to work remotely. Yeah, that that is so very true. Well, and I'm going to want to ask you some questions, maybe pick your brain a little bit about uh, the the things that are in your area of expertise. But before we do that, let's, let's talk about how you're managing to be productive, how you're, you know, the things that you do to get the things done that are important to you. And it's helpful, I think, for us in order to understand what works for you and what doesn't, to have a little bit of context for those things. So this is a loaded question in this particular day and age, but if there is such a thing for you as a typical day, what would that be like? And maybe maybe you could start with what a typical day was like before we were all told to stay home and stay safe. <laughs> That's a very good question, Laura. My typical day from, say, 8 in the morning until 5 in the afternoon has really not changed much based on having to stay at home because 
you know, having created a business where I can work from home, I have a lot of teleconference meetings and we have different programs in place within Core Cubed, which is my core business, that allow us to not only be productive, but also to have an, that I get as, an, as the president of the company, an overview of what's going on. Um, I think key to being productive remotely is a very good project management program. And uh, we have put together pieces of different types of monitoring and reporting software that allow us to work remotely. And I'll just tell you what those are because they work very well. Mm -hmm. We use Basecamp, which is a project management program. And Basecamp allows each person to know what they have to do. And also, I can then come in and have an overview, and the other managers can as well, as to what tasks have been completed, what projects have been completed, you know, what calls have been made, where we are in the process of, of, of running a project or servicing a client. So that project management program is absolutely imperative. So I do check into Basecamp several times during the day. It gives me um, an overview of what's happened each day. It really has a rundown of what has been completed. I can search by employee or I can search by project. So it's a fabulous program to manage the business. We have Basecamp tied into a timekeeping program called TIC, T-I-C-K. And that program then not only monitors the time someone is spending, but it also associates by a code with the project in Basecamp. Hmm. We use a file storage program called Box, which is um, secure and allows us to not only store any files that we want to work on, but also allows clients to have access to folders. So those are the three main programs that we use. And for my day, it's a combination of monitoring what's going on, reaching out to our clients and performing the tasks that I have assigned to me for those tasks. And then also from an industry perspective, I do have a podcast that I normally do about uh, once every other week. That is an Help Choose Home is the name of it. So it's an industry podcast. And I do a fair amount of consulting within the industry. So I will also, in a typical day, have client discussions as well. So lots of different things to do, and it sounds like you've got great systems in place for doing that. Do you have a, a, a morning routine that you follow before you sit down to start your workday? You mentioned your workday is kind of eight, 8 to 5, I think you said. Um, do you have a, a morning routine before that that sets you up for the day? Well, I try to get up and get ready for each day. So even though I work from home, I do not uh, keep my pajamas on. <laughs> <laughs> I, I get up and get dressed. And um, since I've moved to Asheville, North Carolina, I generally don't put makeup on anymore. But, um, but I do 
uh, take a shower, get ready for the day, have breakfast, have my two cups of coffee, and then start work. And at some point during the day, I do also take a hike because I, I live right next door to Pisgah National Forest. So I might take just a short hike of a mile or I might take a longer hike of four or five miles. It really depends on if I have a, a time during the day I can do that. And I find that, that getting out of my office space and going out into nature also really gives me energy and gives me strength so that um, and helps with creativity. Oftentimes I'll solve problems or come up with new ideas while I'm out doing my forest breathing during the day. Yeah, isn't that true? It, it, I have found that often the times when I feel like I'm uh, too busy to get out and go for a walk or do something like that are the times I really need to do that. Because if I try to just stay and keep working and powering through, you know, you, you get decision fatigue, you just get tired and get, getting out uh, away from whatever your work is, your computer or whatever, going for a walk or doing something different, often the answer you were struggling to come up with just comes to you as you're kind of, you let your mind wander. I used to have those moments of clarity at two or three in the morning, and now I find I don't do that anymore. But um, but I do have those moments of clarity when I'm when I am out. So yeah, um, you know, Laura, you asked me about the difference now. I think versus before, and my difference now is that when I'm not in that time span, that eight to five time span of working, where I used to find outlets for my extroverted personality, which involved getting energy from other people, now that I can't do that, that's the biggest difference in my life right now mm. under this quarantine is that I don't have that ability to meet with people and get that energy. So that's what I struggle with. And I find that also having that break during the day in nature helps with that aspect of it as well. Yeah, that's a really good point for, you know, for those of us like me, who I, you know, identify as an introvert, I love people, I like talking with people, but I get energized by time alone and the things that I do on my own. And so I feel like to some extent, this time we're in where we're, you know, asked to be home alone a lot of the time or isolated maybe is a little easier for someone who is an introvert and not as easy for someone who is an extrovert who is energized by interaction with other people. What, what are you doing um, to, to address that aside from going for your walks in the forest and, 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 you know, sort of reconnecting that way? How are you, are, do you have ways that you can connect with other people when you can't go out and attend a meeting or have lunch with somebody? Yes, I am actively creating experiences and interactions online. For my Art Alliance for Contemporary Glass group, we are now meeting weekly, Fridays at 1 o'clock. I send out an invitation to our 600 members, and then we have a meeting where we all start with just saying hello and seeing each other and chatting. And then I generally bring in an expert, a gallery owner, or a museum curator, and 
allow them then to take us on a virtual tour of, like last week we did a Heller Gallery in New York, led us on a virtual tour of mm-hmm. a New Orleans artist named Sibylla Peretti, and the gallery owner and his wife curated this virtual tour for our members. So we got to see each other, we got to talk to each other, we got to experience something new, and I'm doing that once a week, but then I'm also doing other, you know, many (laughs) conversations with people, and um, sometimes, and this is probably a little crazy, but sometimes I do Facebook Live and just talk Mm -hmm. to my phone, but I'm actually pretend I'm talking to other people and they do join me while I'm doing it. So I'll often do that before I take a hike and, and um, you know, share something beautiful from the forest or, um, or from our, our house here just to give me that feeling that I'm actually communicating with someone. And, and that seems to give me energy. What a great idea. I, you know, it, it really is um, a wonderful thing that, if we as as a you know world population have to be going through something so difficult as we are right now that there is technology that can help make things easier uh, in to one degree or another and in in different areas so i love that idea of just jumping on a facebook live and seeing who shows up and 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 just you know maintaining that connection with other people even though we can't see them in person it's not the same but it's certainly better than nothing than than you know complete and utter isolation with no one to talk to at all well to me it's imperative because i you know we're in i think this is our third week of being at home, but I think it's going to go on for another several weeks at least. So um, so it's imperative for me to remain productive and to remain engaged to do whatever I can to keep myself mentally and physically healthy at this time. So, you know, in the healthcare at home industry, we are seeing an increase in our usage of services because of the virus People don't want to be in facilities where they have congregate care. So, mm-hmm. so our industry is actually straining under the um, under the influx of new people who want to have home care. So it's a challenging time, but imperative that we keep our spirits up and that we continue to be positive as we solve some of these problems we've never had to solve before. Yeah, absolutely. Well, aside from the the unique challenges that are coming up during this this time of this pandemic everybody's life is a little different presents different kinds of challenges as far as staying productive getting those things done that really matter to them what would you say are your biggest challenges when it comes to managing your life aside from the the pandemic induced issues uh, what what would you call your biggest challenges as far as staying productive in the way that you want to and getting the things done that are important to you you know i've alluded to this before but the fact that i am an extrovert and need that energy that i think is my biggest challenge Hmm. i find myself if i'm not doing something if I have a task I'm not completing and I'm putting it off, that um, I I have to find some way around it. 
So hmm. I have to either get someone to start the project for me or to give me a boost. And sometimes that will get me over the hump. So I'm not having complete blockage at whatever the task is that I'm supposed to do. I hope that answers your question because I do seek outside help if I just can't make myself do something that I don't want to do. Well, and I can see how that could be helpful to someone who is an extrovert because the the motivation that comes from uh, having somebody else kind of on board in, in one way or another, even if it's just um, getting a little bit of accountability. I've had friends and, and uh, members of, of different productive woman mastermind groups who talked about a certain project that they needed to make progress on, but were dragging their feet. And the way they were able to do it was to connect with another person who would just check in with them. They, they would check in every morning via text or a quick phone call or something and say, and, and the other person would ask, all right, what, what's on deck today? What steps are you going to take today? She would, t- you know, she would tell them, all right, I got to do A, B, and C. And then they'd check in at the end of the day and the other person could ask, okay, how'd you do on getting A, B, and C done? And just that little bit of check-in, that little bit of accountability of having another person sort of involved and knowing that you're going to, they're going to be asking uh, if, how, how you're progressing. I think that can make a, a big difference for any of us, but particularly someone who is extroverted and therefore, you know, energized by interacting with other people. I would agree. That works for me. So uh, the only uh, negative is that historically, if I have someone, because I'm the president of the company, is afraid to do that, it doesn't work. So I have to have people that uh, that will talk to me about it and say, whoops, you missed another deadline. <laughs> someone who's not intimidated. Yeah, someone who's not intimidated by your role. Um, I, I can see that. So you've mentioned some of the tools that you use in your business. You mentioned Basecamp, you mentioned Tick, and um, there was something else. Uh, well, I'm sorry. Oh, Box. That's right. Uh, that's for for those who maybe don't know what Box is. It's something along the lines of say Dropbox, but Box is more more designed for business use. It has more security features and things like that. Do you, as, as a side issue, Marilee, for your business, are you required to comply? Are you subject to HIPAA requirements, the um, confidentiality type of things that medical professionals have to comply with? No, because in our role, which is helping the care-at-home industry businesses succeed, we don't have access to any type of patient or client data. Okay. So, no, we're not um, governed by HIPAA. However, we do take HIPAA requirements seriously when we are preparing information for our home health care agencies or our home care agencies to make certain that they remain HIPAA compliant. Yeah. But we're not seeing any, any patient data or anything that would be um, considered HIPAA compliant. Okay. 
Well, good. So in addition to those tools that you mentioned uh, with respect to your business, are there any other particular tools you like or resources that you recommend for managing your own time personally or professionally or, or managing your space or any of those sorts of things? Uh, uh, any tools that come to mind that you rely on for those tasks? I don't have any any personal tools outside of the ones I've mentioned for business. I do use those same business tools for my personal use. And for instance, when I moved to Asheville, I renovated a house to move in, you know, bought a house that then needed renovating before I moved into it. And I used the project management tool with Basecamp for the house project and included the builder, the architect, and the subcontractors so that we were very clear about what the tasks and the timelines were and who was responsible for what. And also the sharing of information because then, then everyone who needed to know was able to know. So I do use that. I also, I mentioned the, the meetings I have with my Art Alliance folks. I'm using my business Zoom account, which we've used Zoom for a long time. We've gone through several different web conferencing programs, but, but we had settled on Zoom four or five years ago. And so we use that a lot. And I also use that for my Art Alliance and I use it personally. Mm-hmm. So because as you know, with these online programs, you can see each other, you can record meeting, you can share those recordings. So it is something that, that I've used in my personal life as well as my professional life. Yeah, those are all such great tools. And, and I can see why you would go ahead and use Basecamp for your home renovation project. You're paying for this, the tool. It's perfect for that sort of thing. Why not use it? And similarly, Zoom is, is a, a tool that lots of people use for business reasons, as I do. I have for years. We've used it for our mastermind meetings. I use it for coaching calls. I, you know, I do lots of things with it for business purposes. But we actually pulled Zoom into use for a personal uh, project very recently when the uh, Texas governor's stay-at-home directive came out three days before our youngest daughter's wedding, and we couldn't reschedule it, but obviously we couldn't have it what we were going to have, and so we scrambled to have it in our home with only just a few family members present, but we sent out a Zoom link and the family and friends who couldn't be there in person were able to watch and participate in the wedding via Zoom. So it was a a, a great tool to to call into service for a, a very important personal reason. And what a blessing that you were able to do that. Yes, yes. And as soon as the ceremony was over, the bride and groom came around and got in front of the webcam and said hello to and, and interacted with all those people who were watching remotely. And so it was that was pretty special. And, you know, we have the recording of it so she could go back and look at it, which was pretty cool. That's interesting. That's the first actual example that I have heard of someone being personally so inconvenienced by our stay-at-home rules. So I'm glad you got to work your way through that. Yeah. Positive outcome. It it really was. It was not the the big wedding that she had dreamed of, but I, I can say that 
she was beaming all day long. Even when she was crying her happy tears, she was so happy, you know. So, and that's all that matters, that it, that, you know, the bride was happy and the, the, everybody cried, including the groom, and uh, they're married now, so that's what, that's what matters most. Before we wrap up, I want to talk a little bit about healthcare at home. Your business expertise is in that area. How did you get into this industry of healthcare at home? I was a young mother and knew that I was in a relationship that was rocky and probably not going to survive. And I had a master's in social work, which is it's a fabulous degree and, and wonderful for helping people, but not necessarily what one would want to rely on to support a growing family. So I really looked around to see what skill sets did I have that I could apply to helping people because I have always enjoyed helping people. The At the time, and this is 1981, so this was uh, before there were many businesses that were providing any kind of care at home. And I really just fell into a situation. I had put myself out to say, okay, I I can do, I'm a good organizer. I'm great with uh, scheduling people and putting resources together. So I had put that word out. And a friend of mine who worked at the Jewish Family and Vocational Services said, well, I have Um, a client whose husband needs some respite and would you find someone to come sit with her? So we did and the rest is really pretty much history because we did that and the, the husband within the span of my memory is it happened really quickly. It might have been several weeks but it feels like we just started the care and then he died unexpectedly. And so we literally inherited this woman that we were sitting with. And as luck would have it, she had a pretty severe dementia. Mm -hmm. So because of my master's in social work and my interest in helping people, I actually took that as a challenge and enlisted, there were three master's level social work schools in Louisville at the time. I enlisted all of them. I got students. We supervised master's level students and we started really providing care to people with a a special emphasis on people who had a dementia. And again, this is 1981. So this was before, I think there was only one book written on dementia but we, we studied how do, how do we do this? How do we effectively care for people at home? How do we make certain that the situation is safe? What types of training do these people need to go in and care for people with dementia? What is dementia? How do we work with the family? So we really explored a more holistic approach completely non-medical because I'm a social worker, not a nurse. And that model, that particular model that I created, which was really a geriatric care-managed non-medical home care model, is the model that right now is considered to be the top model in terms of caring for an aging society. Hmm. 
Humana at Home, which is a, a large uh, company that is now doing home care, is using my model. And it literally is my model because I helped the founder of Senior Bridge start his company with my model of care. And, and that model has continued. So that's how I started. And my interest has continued because I just know that with our aging population, we are all going to need care. And particularly at a time like this, when people don't want to go to a situation where they're with other people, um, home care is really a, a good choice for lots of people that may not have made that choice before. That segues into a question that I've had about this situation. My, at this point, my father died a few years ago. He was ill, and um, my mother, who has uh, you know, remarried, lives not far from me, and she's healthy and well, and you know, doing fine. But you know, it, it's out there on the horizon that at some point she's she's probably going to need care, and I'm no spring chicken myself. At some point, I will. So, so maybe talk just briefly about health care at home as an option when care is needed. When, when is it an option? Who's a good candidate for health care at home? And what kinds of services would need to be addressed and coordinated in order to achieve that successful healthcare at home? I know that's kind of a compound question, but can you give us just a, a little little bit of insight into who, who should consider this, who would be a good candidate, and, and what would it take to make it work well? That is um, a, <laughs> a question that would take me almost a lifetime to answer, and I would refer people to my Help Choose Home podcast for a more in-depth answer. Sure. But the bottom line is that almost anything that can be done in a facility can be done at home. The caveat is who pays for it. Mm. So the the differentiating factors are the support system that the person has and can you supplement care with either neighbors or family? The financial situation the person is in, can they afford to pay for some care or are they going to be expecting a third party to reimburse them? And then I think the third thing is their social needs. Do Are they okay being alone in their home or do they need to be in a situation where they have other people around? So those are the sort of the the basic decision factors. The other thing is the level of care. If someone needs serious nursing care, and one of the big determining factors is, can the person get up and down out of a chair and the bed and get to the bathroom? Hmm. Because if someone needs assistance in actually moving from chair you know, getting up and down out of the chair, getting them down out of the bed, if they need assistance, then that puts them into a category of where they do need 24-7 care because obviously those functions have to be attended to. So short of that, then almost anyone could be a candidate for care. Again, given the these prescriptive things I said with the family support, finances, and their social needs. Mm. 
Does that answer your question somewhat in a in a broad way? Yeah, yeah, that's very helpful, and it it gives us you know gives us things to think about. And uh, as you mentioned, you've got a whole podcast that talks about these sorts of things in more depth. We'll be sure to put a link to that in the show notes in case anybody's interested in learning more, uh, because many of us. In, a, in the productive woman community are at that stage of life where either um, we have parents who are approaching the need for care or or already there, or we ourselves are getting to an age where we need to think about those things. So having resources available to help with that, I think is very relevant to the topic of, of the Productive Woman podcast, because we as women, and, and this is not a slam on men, because men can be caregivers as well, and often are, but uh, in particular, we as women, uh, our, our ability to be productive in a meaningful way is very much affected by the needs of the people we care about. And so knowing that there are resources to help with this sort of thing can take a lot of weight off of our minds and, and allow us to, to have a path forward to taking care of that while doing the other things that are important to us. I think one of the sad things about when care is needed is that normally when care is needed, the person needing the care doesn't want to accept the care or admit that they need care. Mm. So that is where the, it's usually the oldest daughter in the family that ends up coming in. There, there are certainly lots of incidences where sons do that as well, but for the most part, it's the oldest daughter. And it's a, it's a very difficult time. Um, it's a very, and the system is very, very complicated when, um, when you go to explore the options, not only complicated from a payment uh, standpoint, but complicated from what kind of care is needed. So it's, um, it's a very difficult situation. And Oftentimes, the initial introduction of care, whether it's at home or moving elsewhere, is a very unpleasant topic. And generally, what I say is, you, the, as, a, as a loving family member, even though you know, you know what is best for your parent or your loved one, nature has to take its course somewhat in order for the person who needs care to be willing to accept care. Mm. Yeah, uh, very, very profound point and something I, I know a lot of us have experienced with, uh, with loved ones. So uh, is there a resource? Uh, you, you've mentioned your podcast, Do you talk about some of these things on on your podcast? Or do you uh, have resources you can f- refer people to if you if there's somebody who's listening, who's right at that stage where they're needing to to get information and make decisions and figure out how to navigate the system around this? Where would you point them? 100% of the time, I would start with the geriatric care manager. And the, that is Aging Life Care Professionals um, is the, their official name now. And I would start with an aging life care professional hmm. because you then are getting someone who 
not who has experienced a lot of different care options and people because I'm very fond of saying if you have a 93-year-old parent who needs care, then that situation is it's unique. Mm-hmm. Your 93-year-old parent is not like anyone else's 93-year-old parent. Yeah. So if you've experienced it once, that's what you've experienced is one person needing care. The geriatric care manager, however, the aging life care professional, should have experienced lots of different 93-year-olds needing care in a variety of settings and in a variety of family uh, compositions and in a variety of financial situations. And so someone who has a broader expertise is much better at helping you make a decision based on your specific needs. And um, and we do tend to, once we go through this, think, well, I've experienced it. I could help someone else go through this. And what you find out is everyone's everyone's track is different. Yeah. So there, you really do need to call in someone. And unfortunately, the medical community and a lot of the support systems that we have in place are simply not familiar enough with the options and the opportunities for care at home. So... So that's where I would start. I love the idea that there is a place you can go to get a knowledgeable professional to sort of come alongside you and help you navigate the, the, the whole thing. So we'll be sure to put that link in the show notes as well. Uh, Thank there, you. There's so much that we could talk about, but I don't want this to be a two-hour-long episode. So I appreciate you sharing the the ideas and sort of some of your expertise in this area. And you've also shared a little bit about the tools and things that you use to manage your roles. You seem to me to be a pretty positive person, uh, a pretty organized person. So you have these systems in place to, to get the things done that are important to you. But I have to ask, because I ask every guest this question, even with those systems and routines and a positive attitude in place, do you ever have a day when it all gets away from you or you just get completely stressed out and overwhelmed? And if so, what do you do to get back on track? (laughs) That's a great question. I had one of those days recently and I was so overwhelmed, I just took to the bed. And then after about two hours of just, (laughs) lying in bed with the covers over my head. Um, I got up, I ate some fruit, I went out for a hike, and I came back and, you know, realized it's, uh, you know, taking to your bed is not going to solve this crisis. (laughs) So so I put my happy face back on and and made myself, uh, you know, get back in and tackle what I needed to tackle. So I don't have any, any magic... Um, about it. I just know that there's a resolve. You have to bring your personal resolve in and you simply have to know that the the happy, the optimistic, the positive simply has to overcome the negative in order for us to survive. So I guess my father would say, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You know? <laughs> so um, I, that's what I do. Um, unfortunately, I'm not having many of those days because I am very actively working on the kinds of activities and dietary requirements that it takes to maintain a healthy and an optimistic and a happy attitude and life. 
And that's so important. I, I, I think... You know, there's nothing wrong with every once in a while just taking to your bed for a couple hours and and sort of giving giving your yourself a chance to sort of feel the feels and uh, hide from it all for a minute. But I love that that you then get up and you go out for a walk, get out in nature, which can make a huge difference. And for those who are listening, you know that if it's safe for you to do so, that's a great recommendation uh, to get out and just breathe some fresh fresh air and, and get a little perspective and then figure out, okay, what's the next step? What's the first thing I need to do? Not, not how do I do all this stuff, but what can I do right now that'll be make a little bit of progress toward whatever project or goal that I'm working toward? And, you know, not beat yourself up for spending a little time in bed with the, the covers over your head. <laughs> Sometimes we just need that, Marilee. <laughs> I'm sure. Well, Marilee, what is on the horizon for you? What do you have um, coming up either professionally or personally or whatever that you're looking forward to, excited about? The podcast, this will be my third season for Help Choose Home podcast, and it kicks off April the 22nd. And the whole series, obviously, will be different than we had planned because our life is so different and so instead of what we were going to do where the guests will talk about surviving in this time of change and how best to do that and lessons learned Mm -hmm. that's exciting on a personal front I'm will be excited to be able to see my grandchildren Mm -hmm. again even though they live within walking distance of me we've been very careful because they're not social distancing properly mm-hmm. that um, that we're not having any interface with them so we're doing FaceTime but I mean I'm you know I'm literally within walking distance I can actually see them from a distance sometimes but I'm looking forward to, uh, to resuming some normalcy and having family get-togethers and having um, you know, being able to travel, that's the other thing. I can't wait. I've traveled my whole entire life. This is the, uh, this, this time is very difficult because I really do love the change of scenery mm-hmm. that travel provides. So I have some trips coming up in the fall and I'm hoping we can still travel then. And I'm also busy learning different cooking methods that I've not done before. So. I have several things I'm ticking off that I wanted to do that I haven't done, and I'm I'm working on those. Lots of things to look forward to. Marilee, where can people connect with you online if they want to learn more about uh, you and what you're doing? Where's the best place to send them? Well, there are CoreCubed, which is C-O-R-E-C-U-B-E-D.com is my company and there's information about me and my company there and helpchoosehome.com is a great uh, segue into or an entrance into the podcast world so so both of those places I'm on Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter and um, so they can find me there and we will put links to all of that in the show notes so if uh, you're listening and you want to check in with Marilee, you'll have a means to do so. Marilee, before we go, do you have any last words for the listener who might be looking for help or or encouragement in getting things done and, and making a life that matters? 
what would you say to her? Do you know, I would say the first thing to do would be to take stock of where you are now and be very clear about where it is you want to go and then make micro incremental steps that you can accomplish to get there. Um, I'm a, a big believer in envisioning the future and have found great success if I really wanted to change directions or do something different that I really envisioned what that looks like. And then I, I consist, you know, I really take steps, check them off and move towards where I think I want to be. Oftentimes the goal changes, but at least you have, you have it clear in your mind and you're heading in one direction that is in a positive direction. I love it. Great advice. Thank you so much, Marilee. Thank you, Laura. And stay safe. (laughs) You as well. I really enjoyed talking with Marilee, and I feel like I learned so much from her. I'm thankful to her for taking the time to talk with me, to share her thoughts on how she's making a life that matters, and for her great ideas and encouraging words for the rest of us. But what do you think? Do you have any questions for Marilee or for me about the things we talked about on this episode? I would love to hear from you. I know she would as well. You can share your questions, your thoughts, your insights in the comment section of the show notes for this episode at theproductivewoman.com slash 290. Or you can post a comment or question on the Productive Woman Facebook page. If you prefer to share your thoughts with me privately, as always, you can email your questions, comments, or suggestions to me at feedback at theproductivewoman.com, and I would love to hear from you. And that is it for this episode of The Productive Woman. Thank you so much for spending this time with me and with Marilee. I hope you found something in it that's helpful to you or encouraging. I look forward to talking with you again very soon. So in the meantime, stay safe. And until next time, remember, extend grace to each other and to yourself and go make your life matter.